Richard Corbley. This There's... podcast is all about you. Well, yeah. Thank you for coming on. Thanks very much, yeah. I'm not looking forward to hearing the sound of my own voice, to be honest. <laughs> Actually, look, you'll be okay. You'll yeah, be alright. I will, I will be fine. Um, you're a good-sounded man. In the past week, I have recorded conversations with four people. Right, that's a lot. And the first three, I was very lucky. I asked them if they were willing to come on, and they were excited, and they said, yeah, absolutely. You're my first ever guest to actually ask me, could you come on? Which was brilliant. Okay. And I love that. And I wanted to ask, what inspired you to ask me, or what about the idea of what I'm doing made you want to come on? I suppose I just, I like talking to you anyway. Um, I always find our chats interesting. Um, so, and I, I don't know, I generally, I wouldn't, if something's happening in life, I kind of want to do it. So, yeah, when I just... I was like, oh yeah, if people are doing that. I was like, yeah, I'd kind of like to do that. You know, I'm less of, oh, would it be all right? Would it be nervous? And I'm kind of more like, yes, I might give that kind of go myself. Um, I suppose, yeah, just chatting about mental health, I suppose, and all that's what we need to do more of. So I suppose it's good to do that as well, but yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, class. Yeah. Well, to give context to those who don't know either of us, myself and Dickie, or Richard, I call him Dickie, uh, are very good friends. We've been friends in secondary school, and I know Dickie is a a very open person, very forthcoming, and very very honest. Um, too honest at times. It gets me in trouble sometimes, but we get too, over that. Too too <laughs> honest. Um, Maybe. Why do you say too honest? Too honest. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm not actually too honest, but yeah, it's just I remember. There's a few times in school where you're just like, is that so blunt, Dickie, or something? Or, or just like, yeah, if somebody actually had a bad game, it's like, Jez, you played shite today, or something like, which, yeah, you probably shouldn't do, you probably should say it's somewhere else, but yeah. Okay, maybe, yeah, uh, maybe frame it in a more appropriate manner. Yeah, 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 basically. Which, yeah, I, I love your honesty, because I know if I ask you a question, I'll get a very genuine answer. Now, I might need to gear myself up for a verbal slap in the face, but I suppose I think I think it's a it's a cool part of your character to be able you're you're reliable in that regard. Cool. If I if I ask you something about the podcast, let's say, and I you know, what I want is very constructive feedback and which oftentimes is, is negative, so I can avoid doing something a certain way. If I ask you, you could I would be almost half expecting Oh Pat, this is shite that shite, this is shite, if, if it was that way, if you genuinely believe that, and in that way you're alive, and I think that's a, that's a special thing, um, and I, I think it's a, a virtuous aspect of your character, but, you mentioned like, you, you obviously, you wouldn't want to upset people, so, now, reflecting on, on instances like that, let's say, I did have a bad game, would you just outright tell me, and worry about that later, or would you try and frame it, more appropriately? Uh, to be honest, in, in case of football, I probably wouldn't say anything because a I think it's actually sport is a good thing like that. I suppose if you if you play a bad game, you almost always know yourself. Like you don't need someone else to tell you. Um, I you'd probably be more almost likely to tell somebody you played well because it could almost be harder to know. Or yeah, if you, if you play okay, to actually then hear you played well, kind of thing. So no, probably I wouldn't be like that. Maybe less so, but I, I suppose like 
yeah, if, if somebody was like, oh, what do you think it is? Or I suppose, as you said, like I generally would give my honest answer or, or do you like this shirt I'm wearing or something kind yeah. of thing? And I might be like, no, yeah. I think it's cat. Like, yeah, yeah. But yeah, and that, that, that's probably more my honesty. Actually, like the football example is probably a bad one. I know, I know what you yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah. And you, you, you stand out for your honesty and you're quite a, an individual character. You're not one to you know, go go with other people's expectations, let's say, of what ways somebody might uh, act or even dress. And, and I, I love that about you as well. You're, you're, you're very individual. And as well as that, you're, you strike me, you, you've always strike me as quite an expressive person. And I remember in school, you, you sang and you've written quite a bit over the last few years about, about sport, uh, about American life and culture and politics and American sport as well. And I was curious to know from your perspective, what about singing, writing and expressing yourself affects and informs your innermost experiences? Well, that's, that's a really deep question. It's pretty cool. Um, I suppose, yeah, it's just... It's, it's nice getting things down on paper or actually doing things because I don't know often I find like when I'm having thoughts I'm like oh this is actually really interesting but like you're just having the thoughts so I'm kind of like well you should probably try and actually get a concrete experience out of that as well as well as the fact I just genuinely think singing is fun I suppose that was probably the main reason I did it like uh, I wanted to join musicals and stuff obviously for the bureaus and whatnot um, <laughs> for the ladies for, yeah yeah so, sorry, Bures is a very Navin term from probably about 10 years ago as well at this stage, but yeah. Keeping uh, it alive. <laughs> um, but yeah, just singing and then writing about, I suppose, American sports. Now, I suppose I just literally, I watch so much American sport and listen to so much about it. I kind of feel like, and then when I read a crap article, I'm like, that is absolute dirt. And I'm like, I could write better than that. But it's no good saying I feel oh, I could do better than that and then actually not trying doing it yourself like kind of thing or even I'd almost be like that even if like I heard a bad song or like, I'm like why wouldn't you just do it that way but I suppose it's actually good to test yourself because then you're maybe less critical of others who fuck up like a bit as well or even like when you're I like to try and actually play sport as well because I suppose yeah sometimes when you're just watching all the time you're like oh why did he miss that shot and, that? and then once you play like you realise how much fuck ups you do yourself like so it probably gives you a more better understanding of what someone else is doing. Actually, when you actually try to do something, it's hard. You have, I suppose, more appreciation for what it is. Yeah, that's really interesting. So it, se- it seems that the fact that you're kind of quite a man of action kind of informs your compassionate nature so that when, ra- rather than jump the gun and really attack somebody, you try and put that into practice yourself. And if it's more difficult than you originally thought, well, then you can say, oh maybe I shouldn't judge you know that, that's an interesting way way to act compassionately yeah it's, I wouldn't say it's maybe I shouldn't judge because I definitely do judge and I feel we all do actually judge each other but it's it's even when you're judging it's to have the understanding that even if you are judging and you think it's good or bad it's it's at least understanding it's difficult from what they're doing yeah. it's having yeah as you said maybe compassion I didn't even think of it like that but yeah it probably is yeah absolutely um, it, yeah. From, it definitely seems that way from, from my perspective so you do judge yeah. do you do you judge yourself yeah yeah how how do you judge yourself I suppose I, I judge myself like 
like a lot of people like you often think back like what have you actually accomplished like where did you see yourself going did I do what I did to the best of my ability or was I kind of lazy about it or what do I want to do like I suppose like just, just a lot of things I don't know I, I'm kind of like in the last year or so I've been kind of like right I want to get physically kind of independent here I want to be able to like move out of the parents house I want to be able to stand on my own two feet like I suppose I judge myself a lot a lot on that sort of thing and like when I wasn't able to do that for a short time like as that was kind of annoying me and stuff so uh, I suppose I definitely feel I judge myself um, and then I, I probably judge myself against others too much as well because you're, you're kind of like oh why can't I do this and he seems to be doing it no bother and then you kind of get frustrated with yourself which is probably not the best way to be because yeah we're all different I suppose and stuff but yeah yeah Interesting. So yeah. the the example you gave about about living at home, why did that not being fiscally or physically independent as you put, uh, why did that frustrate you? Do you, is it because of is it because of your age or you know your expe- your academic experience or wh- why what informed that frustration with yourself? Yeah. So age is definitely one thing. Like you just. I suppose, yeah, you judge yourself by your peers and you're like, well, oh, the other guys, like, and plenty of guys younger than me seem to have good jobs now as well, like, and yeah. you're kind of like, what do you, what do you do? And then you're like, yeah, you have a degree, you're, you're able to talk, you're able to do stuff like, yeah, yeah why aren't you working sort of thing? Well, like, it wasn't even I wasn't working, but like, why are you still basically with the, in the parents' house and coming in and would like, um, and I suppose, yeah, it's kind of like, when, how do I sort that out sort of thing? But, okay. Yeah. And did you enjoy living at home or did you did you dislike living at home? I hated living at home, but that was no fault of my parents. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that was like my parents could do, do more for me, but I just felt like I was like, I shouldn't still have to actually live with my parents, if you know what I mean. I don't know. I suppose that frustrated me. Okay. But Interesting. Yeah. So there seems to be a pressure that you kind of place in yourself. Like Definitely. I, I, I mentioned earlier how from my perspective, you you don't necessarily act by other people's expectations, but yet you you project you make all expectations on yourself based on on the activities of other people, which is which is an insight to, for me, um, and that that is that is definitely sur- surprising to me. I thought right, right. if you wanted if you wanted to leave home, it's because. You would have been kind of uncomfortable in the house, or you 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 loved your parents, but you know you you didn't like always seeing them. You know, I I, I love my mother and I love yeah. my family, but at the same time, I, I want to I want to be kind of be able to come and go as I please. And and when you're at home, that is difficult. Oh no, that's that that was definitely a part of it as well. Like obviously, as much as you love your parents and stuff, like when you're actually living out in your own, like basically your girlfriend can come over or whatever. Or, you know, you can drink cans at a stupid time of the day and not be judged. Like we, we all of our parents aren't going to be too happy about that. But yeah, yeah. Like if you have a day off, I happily took into some cans at some stupidly early hour. Like, okay. It's not probably a thing which you're going to get judged on. But I like having the freedom to actually be able to yeah, do yeah. that at this age, like and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And do you think your your self critical nature means that you suffer more than you should? Um, hmm. Possibly, yeah. Uh, suffer more than I should. I, 
Do we even view it as suffering? Um, so, uh, another another way to frame it, obviously you get it that 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 self critical nature you have is quite motivational to yeah. to go to go out and do stuff as you are a man of action. But do you think when I when I describe suffering, I don't mean um, maybe suffering in a classical sense, but like a, a, a bit of inner turmoil and a bit of uh, emotional stress. To me, that's a that's a form of suffering. So do you think yeah. that you basic you may suffer more than you more than you deserve or more than you should due to that self critical nature, or do you think it's an important part of your character? Yeah, I think it's actually both. Yeah, I suppose I do probably get myself almost a bit too down about it sometimes, or maybe stuff like that. But yeah, I do feel also. If, if you're not kind of moving forward, you're going back sort of thing. Yeah, I do like, you kind of, you want to set yourself goals, you want to keep doing stuff. And I suppose like it's without suffering, without something like you often don't get stuff done. So I suppose okay. I can see like a positive part to it as well. But no, I do see, I, I kind of had it in my head for a while, like that you had to be like almost like, especially like in college and stuff, you'd almost be like, Unless I was very stressed, almost doing nothing, which is a bad habit to get into. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember I was like, unless I was kind of completely intense and completely stressed, I could almost do nothing. Okay. Um, So I suppose it's, yeah, it is actually hard, like, to just get a more kind of everyday flow to just do a bit without actually completely killing yourself, like, but yeah. By the sound of things, suffering is actually important to you. Possibly, yeah. It's something that like, you you require to to move forward, and you don't necessarily see suffering in 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 this context as a bad thing. Yeah, I suppose I don't in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I think uh, I'm not sure. Things like Nietzsche used to he had like this sort of philosophy of like that you should really embrace the suffering that it actually like it makes you a better person, kind of in the long run. That obviously. I think he definitely took it to like too much of an extreme and eventually went nuts like but okay um i think he definitely makes some like kind of points uh about yeah just uh you should embrace the suffering because like i suppose like yeah a lot of like art and songs and stuff which are written like suffering and like feeling bad is actually a very powerful emotion yeah so like it can bring a lot of good as well if you actually if you can channel it like yeah um, so no I definitely don't see suffering as that bad thing I definitely I don't know I, I think yeah maybe we're almost do we put almost too much of a reliance on being happy all the time now uh, yeah well I, I personally happiness is a weird thing I think yeah, uh, the, the definition of happiness which most people have I don't think is a realistic goal yeah it's it, it's a strange thing it's archaic so depending on what way you frame happiness i think it's a good it's either a good thing a good and realistic thing or an unrealistic and stressful thing so like to me uh, happiness isn't uh, going around with a, a smile on your face all the time and kind of laughing and never experiencing some sort of classically negative emotion like anger yeah. Or, or or sadness or or fear or anxiety. Uh, to me, happiness is a I suppose is, is a good baseline of kind of contentment where you you experience negative emotions, but they don't drag you down necessarily. And when when you are in a joyful situation, you 
really relish that experience. Yeah, that's to, to me, that that would be a, a healthy reflection of happiness. But there, I think there is a, an almost childish idea uh, in some people's minds of happiness where it's it's walking around with a smile on your face all the time and I think that's what forces people to put on that front because they think happiness is a is an is a is a necessity and I I I don't understand that but I think it's bullshit yeah 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 um no actually I actually very similar views about that as well um not sure if you've ever seen the film Inside Out yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, no, I think it does a really good job of like showing actually the importance of anger and sadness and stuff to actually build a deeper character and that. Yeah, I, sorry, I'm, I'm uh, going to maybe talk about antidepressants. I'm not sure maybe some of our listeners do take them and I don't want to make any disparaging comments if you do, but I almost, I kind of see them as in quite a negative fashion that like may, maybe my understanding of the situation is not good enough, but... I suppose, yeah, it's it's almost like to the point of like if you're feeling down and that, that this is a terrible thing, there's no way you should be feeling like that when that's kind of bullshit when feeling down is a complete necessary part of life. It's it's something you're going to go through and yeah. it's, it's not something you should feel bad about, although that's obviously easier said than done because like, nobody wants to feel bad, like it's yeah. just something you feel. Well, there are, um, there are, there are a lot of things... Uh, in terms of how people interpret things like depression yeah. or, or sadness or anxiety that is unhelpful and unscientific. Um, I take antidepressants. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, um, yeah that's why I didn't want to be disparaging about no, it. Yeah, yeah. No, not at all. And I know you're not saying that from a judgmental, judgmental frame of mind. Like, you know, armed with that information, you, you don't, you're not now thinking, Pat takes antidepressant. Jesus, Pat's a dumbass. Interesting. <laughs> you know, it's now because because of my interest and the, the because of my interest, I understand maybe uh, maybe a little bit higher than an average level. Um, I'm sure a lot higher than that. <laughs> you have a degree in neuroscience, Pat. For any <laughs> listeners, is uh, a bit disparaging on himself and doesn't give himself credit uh, in this situation. But anyway, I've, but. I've I've studied I've studied the brain and I'm. I know a bit about antidepressants. It would have formed an important part of my thesis, let's say. Okay, yeah. So, antidepressants aren't... Antidepressants shouldn't be something you take to make you happy in that in, in, in that in that framework which I described earlier, one where you're always kind of walking around smiling. Antidepressants don't kind of... Don't numb your experience. I think people have... Uh, are misinformed or misinterpret the idea of them. I think some people think they kind of, you know, they zonk you out or they they change your interpretation of reality to such a degree that you don't let negative emotions in or you don't experience them. That's that's not how antidepressants work. And if if that's why you want to take antidepressants or if that's why you're taking antidepressants, you should probably reconsider that approach. Antidepressants only work in like a third of instances the yeah the antidepressants are pretty shit um for what you would want them to be like ideally um if what's called the monoamine hypothesis of depression was correct um and the monoamine hypothesis of different neurobiological disorders which they're called was correct well then when you experience things like depression or generalized anxiety disorder or bipolar disorder well it's a 
quote-unquote chemical imbalance and with that in mind you want to recalibrate that chemical imba- chemical imbalance and uh, with this theory the monoamine which is implicated is serotonin okay so right. ser- serotonin basically changes that the serotonergic transmission in your brain to such a degree where the psychiatrist or the person who has prescribed you the drug it will alleviate your depressive or your anxious symptoms. Now, I'm sure a lot of what I'm saying sounds like gobbledygook, let's say. And it's kind of because it is. It doesn't really reflect very... It doesn't reflect well on the subjective human experience. And, you know, it's... When antidepressants do work, it's because they're administered with therapy. And I think it's kind of obvious why therapy works. Because you're working through your mind, you're changing your ideas, yeah. you're maybe learning different tools and coping mechanisms to understand your own stress better. So it's obvious why therapy works. And antidepressants for a lot of people seems to inform that therapeutic approach. Uh, also, can I ask, is there any physical actual approach to that as well? Because like, I find like if I'm actually feeling shit, like a good hard run is very, very good. Yeah, absolutely. And um, is that like incorporated, like just actual physical activity? To find it. Yeah, in in there are there is research, there is research, and there are cases of many people who, when they exercise, they get as much of an antidepressant effect as if they were taking antidepressant medication. Yeah, so yeah. exercise is incredibly important yeah. for maintaining a, a healthy emotional well being. Um, so antidepressants aren't a bad thing if they work for a person they shouldn't regret necessarily taking them um, they should I suppose keep in close contact with their doctor uh, in terms of should the dosage be changed over time or uh, they should always I say always combine it with therapy it's funny I say that because I don't go to therapy <laughs> you know but <laughs> antidepressants basically don't work when un, un, unless you're doing therapy and to give extra context to my own specific circumstances I've been ta- I've taken antidepressants over different on different courses over my lifetime right. and the current course of antidepressants was originally prescribed to me when I was very very down and in in that instance I started taking them every day because I was trying to basically attack my emotional state with as much ammunition as possible. So I was going to therapy. I was uh, kind of maybe taking a little bit of time out of college. I, I wasn't putting some social pressures on myself to, to meet up with um, everybody and anybody when I came back from Texas, let's say. So I was just taking things easier and I was really, really trying to win this battle against depression, okay? So antidepressants formed an important part of that. So after the therapy... I felt much better. I didn't stop taking antidepressants because in my own mind I felt, well, I don't want to go back to that place so I'm going to I'm kind of going to keep everything the same. Now that's not a very uh that's not necessarily the best approach, but that was the approach I took. No, I understand and it's, that approach. It's it's the approach I still take. Now, I do foresee an instance where I will titrate the dosage down and I will stop taking them and there actually has been many instances over the past year where I've wanted to do that 
and then an emotionally salient stressful event will happen like for instance I uh, my, my granny died or I was struggling to get work or something like that so I I kind of I just I, I'd be titrating the dose there and there like oh no but what if I t- stop taking it? and then this really affects me so I I'm afraid I'm afraid to stop taking them um which is which is all right yeah. but basically I know they're not having any negative affect on myself taking them uh, at least nothing major a couple of things I I noticed but nothing major um so I will continue to take them uh so I now having I haven't told you my own experience and my own understanding of antidepressants has that change your idea about antidepressants or do you still hold a similar view to people who want to be happy what we what we referred to before I started going on my little rant yeah it's it's, it's hard to know um no it's it's cool it has worked for you like and it's 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 helpful for you um I don't no. sorry sorry to interrupt you I actually don't even know if it is I don't know oh. if it's helpful oh but if it if it is yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to find out basically because I feel like the way I would find out would be if I stopped taking them and then felt bad. I just don't want to feel bad, so I'd almost rather not know. Now that is blissful ignorance at its detestable core. That is a bad approach to it, but that's what I'm doing, you know. Oh, okay. um, which 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 is worth reconsidering. But that's that's basically where I'm at now. Okay, antidepressants do work for a lot of people. And the stigma around antidepressants is is somewhat linked to the stigma around revealing our emotional selves. So if I can, if if I could do anything to attack one, well, I think it's good to have a two pronged attack towards the stigma towards taking antidepressants and also the stigma towards revealing our emotional selves. So that's why I went. I, I started. No, I started that's yeah, because mostly I'm hugely for revealing our emotional selves. Hmm. Um, hugely for like as you said like I'm a very open person like I I like hearing other people's opinions you know, why why actually are we supposed scared of saying oh, I'm feeling shit like I'm I'm worried about this I'm worried about that because even saying and then somebody else talking to you like it's almost always positive yeah I that that's a a very good question and I suppose I, I don't know the answer it takes a significant amount of initial, I suppose, I don't know if strength is the right word, um, Cormac Ryan, who I spoke to earlier on this week, had a brilliant way of articulating it, and I love it. He describes courage as not kind of ignoring things and getting on with stuff and you know succeeding in life without addressing your emotional side. He feels, and I tend to agree with him, that true courage is considering negative emotions, letting them in and almost letting them take over you for a moment. And then the real courage comes from expressing it. So you are courageous enough to allow yourself to feel a certain way, consider it, and then express it. To me, that takes big balls. Whether you're a woman or a man, that takes significant courage. And when I see people like that, you know, forget Arnold Schwarzenegger or any other bodybuilder. Their strength is just something which will be upheld because revealing yourself is a very... Revealing yourself emotionally is a very, very difficult thing to do. I know that 
because I didn't reveal my emotional side for what like 20 years or something you know and because I I I lacked the strength and courage to do it. For some people, it is easier. I particularly find it very, very difficult. So I can definitely empathise with those who refrain from revealing their emotional side. But to those who don't, I would say from experience, it's a very healthy and helpful thing to do. But getting back to your original Um, question, I I, I don't know why we haven't evolved to do it more, basically. Um, to almost maybe slightly contradict some of what you just said, um, I actually, I don't know, a part of me does feel like just when you're feeling shit about something, actually though, just staying in it and keep doing it actually is a very, very good trait. I think like just persevering something, even if we hate it at some point, is a really good trait and a really needed trait like I actually seen a, an interview recently of some Olympic gold medalist and she said like when she was a gymnast as a kid like every time she'd come home and she'd be like oh, I hate this I want to quit it her mom was like okay but you're not quitting today she goes you can quit but just not today you quit when you have a good day at this and then you feel then you see how you did and like she obviously went on to win the gold medal but it's when you're when you are at the lowest point, but I just feel like just going and keep doing it, and just just say, look, this isn't going well, but I do just try harder, and then all of a sudden something goes right for you, or it just doesn't seem as bad, or another day it just doesn't seem as overwhelming. I feel it is very important to even when things are going shit, it's almost at that point almost double down and like go even harder at what you're doing I feel that's a good thing in my mind anyway I I absolutely see where you're coming from and I actually don't think any of that necessarily contradicts what I said possibly not I don't know because so there are picture two scenarios where you have somebody who's an athlete just basically the exact same scenario that you said and they're experiencing sincere difficulty and it gets worse and worse and they double down and it gets even harder and harder and they don't tell their mom. That's where the issue is. I think yes, it, actually, it's, yes. it's, it's expressing yourself yeah. when you're in those intense moments, those emotionally intense moments. That's the important thing. I'm not saying you should oh, have... No, no, I actually... So it's, it's, it's... What I'm trying to say is that, yes, continue doing whatever it is that you're doing uh, and feel those emotions, and don't you know? Avoid, don't necessarily avoid what you're doing, but just when you get to that point, outwardly express yourself. That's that's the real important thing. Yeah, you know. So I pre- pretty much agree with you, just with that extra stipulation. Um, yeah, no, and I, I I agree with that stipulation. Yeah, maybe 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 that part is actually the part that comes easy to me, as you said. Like I'm actually quite expressive. Like I'm. I find it quite hard to hide my emotions or hide anything like I if I get angry I'll kind of shout about things or if I get sad like I'll have a real sad look on my face or something yeah yeah (laughs) that's one I I have a reputation for having outrageous facial expressions you do have outrageous facial expressions which won't which won't come across yeah on podcasts not the greatest medium for that but that's not necessarily always been true I would have been quite adept at hiding my emotional self okay. for basically those 19, 20 years I referenced earlier. So 
that's kind of a, a learned behavior on my heart, on my behalf. I, to use the cliche, wear my heart on my sleeve a lot of yeah. the time. So, oh, like you said, I'm quite animated. When I'm angry, I'm angry. When I'm frustrated, I'm frustrated. Yeah. When I'm happy, I'm happy. When I'm laughing, I, you know, I'm not hiding yeah, my laughter, yeah, you yeah. know. <laughs> and I, and I, I cry, for instance. When I'm very sad, I will cry. And it's, yeah. it's, no, it's no big deal. Um, well, actually, uh, it is a big deal with lads and crying. Um, yeah. I, I remember I, I don't know why, but yeah, I remember when I was in school, I would, I would cry from time to time. And I was seen as a bit of a freak for doing that in, in secondary school. A freak? Really? I, I would have thought so, yeah. That's funny, isn't it? That's that's a strange thing. I suppose there's... I suppose it's important to factor in an, an immaturity there as well. And there's, there's an immaturity and an, an extreme macho-ness within an all-boys school. Yeah. Um, that I don't necessarily hate all of, but there's definitely some bad points to it as well. Absolutely. Well, uh, to, to get back to what I was saying earlier, you know, for some people it's easier... To express themselves, and I actually think that you're rare in how easy you find it to openly express yourself and to outwardly express your emotion, your emotions. It's, I suppose, more. It's more typical to find that very difficult. And hearing what you're describing, your experience in secondary school in St. Pat's, where, where we both studied, yeah, it was that more typical attitude which resulted in people thinking, oh. Yeah, Dickie's real. He's real weird and he's a freak. Whereas, kind of on the inside, they're like, "Yeah, that well, he's, he's crying because he's sad." And <laughs> being sad and crying kind of makes sense, but not not when you're in company. That's really yeah, uh, uh, weird and freakish, you know. Whereas they just maybe maybe they lacked that inherent character strength which you had, which was being willing to outwardly express yourself. I lacked it. Right. Yeah. I, I wonder where exactly that comes like. That the idea of actually not crying it it's it's in a lot of cultures. Like I remember when I was a kid, we used to get this guy like over from Belarus. He was he came from an orphanage in Belarus. I'm it's not exactly sure what his family circumstances were before that, but um, really really nice guy, real funny guy. Actually, very quite very emotional. Only around other kids though, he would completely hide all emotions in front of our parents. Wow! After a couple of years, he very much opened up to dad. He would, he would come working on the farm and stuff and he, he really did quite open up to dad but I remember like if, if like any parents visitors were open like he had an amazing skill to just completely vanish out of the room or just if he was in a shop with dad or something like dad said he saw him a couple of times and like he would almost just vanish like into the walls like just almost not to be seen like and I remember if like we were all we were all kids like we'd obviously like fall and I remember like you'd be grabbing balls out of hedges and stuff like the football and I remember one time like he almost fell through a hedge like and got his entire leg cut open like just loads of little thorns and that he'd bleed and he just goes yeah. he had this ingrained ability or it was he wouldn't get seen but yeah um, there's, there's a weird culture of people who want kids seen but not heard and I'm not 100% sure what that's born from, but in relation to, what was the Belarusian guy's name? Uh, Maxime. In relation to Maxime and people like him not expressing themselves or being born from an environment which they aren't allowed to express themselves, I think that comes from maybe a misinterpretation of the virtuous stoic character, let's say, and 
to my understanding, a stoic character has a relatively unchangeable emotional baseline. So they're quite considered when their feet when they experience negative emotion and positive emotion. So and they're quite mindful about it. And I think imagine imagine being the parent of that child, or imagine being the people who worked in the orphanage looking after that child. You see you uphold a stoic character as virtuous and you see similar characters in today's world, like for instance, let's say a Zen master Buddhist who's at one with the universe and never really changes his expressions based on his environment. And you want to bestow that attitude upon your child or the orphan who's in your orphanage. And you just do it in the wrong way. And you attack the child for crying or throwing a tantrum or being sad or acting out instead of doing what I see as the more appropriate thing of allowing the child to express those emotions, trying to help them understand them better and don't punish them for outward expression. Congratulate them for that and try and rationalise that with them. Yeah, because I suppose like when I'm saying, oh, it's so good to, to be emotional, to show your emotions, stuff like to, to kind of contradict myself, like, I often think, like, if you have, like, a, a difficult situation in life or, like, I don't know, for a town or for anything or, like, a money issue or that, and if people kind of come in screaming and shouting about the situation, it doesn't do a whole pile of good. Like, even though I was saying, like, oh, it's great to show your emotions, like, in that situation, yeah, I suppose, it's not even, a, it's not really a practical thing and actually they're just sitting down and kind of making a list and saying, okay, we have to do this, this and this is actually a better thing and I think maybe, maybe people confuse just being a little bit more sensible with showing no emotions which I, I see that as actually a completely different thing like yeah like just kind of being calm and collected is an emotion as well like I, I don't see why if you're in that state sometimes why that should also mean that you never show your emotions like I think that's kind of bullshit so yeah I see what you're saying yeah there. it's, like, it's interesting that you refer to calmness as an emotion which yeah. in, in my in my mind it, it pretty much is and so you're allowed to express that emotion but you're not allowed to express something else which is just anathema to the human condition as I see it it's important to express every sort of emotion and to try and rationalise it but yeah. I, I think it's important to reflect also on those parents who want to imbue that stoic nature into their children by realising that they're obviously well intentioned they want the best for their children or they want the best for the people that they're looking after. Yeah, yeah. But I just don't think that the best way to go about it is to say, now, young Johnny or now, young Jessica, don't be crying. You're crying. You're a big girl or you're a big boy now. Crying is for babies. Yeah, you know, like, uh, so sorry to interrupt there, but I remember a few years ago, myself and Pod, your friend of mine, were on holidays and there was this like Canadian ice or American ice hockey player and I was mad talking because I love American sports and all that. And uh, after a few minutes, like, actually, this guy seems like a bit of a douchebag, like, um, he was basically saying, like, I always tell my kids, like, never cry, never cry, suck it up. And I just said to him, I was like, they could be saying that to a therapist someday. And he just completely shut up, like, with this, he didn't know what to say. But, like, it, it does seem to, like, be definitely a, a cross-culture, like, because I was talking about, like, obviously, Maxime, he'd be, like, Belarusian, I think, 
that's definitely sort of a thing in Eastern Europe, but like there's definitely in America, and I know like that's definitely in thing like Japan and stuff, and I presume it's in Africa and the Middle East as well. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of... We know it's here. Yes. Oh, we know it's in Ireland. Yes, yes. So, yeah. no, it seems to be a pretty universal thing that I suppose yeah. that maybe... I, th- I think uh, my take home from what you're saying there really enforces an idea I have about the human condition. You know, you've when we're studying English poetry and English literature at leaving certain level, you know, our teacher might tell us about the human condition. Oh yeah, they really articulate the human condition well here. To me, the human condition means the <laughs> whole wealth of human experience. And that's a shared thing. Like, you know, someone from America is human, they experience the human condition. Someone from China, human, human condition. Japanese, it doesn't matter where you're from, we all experience the human the human condition. So I suppose it is part to my understanding of the human condition, to want the best for those we care about. Yeah. And wanting the best for those we care about is brilliant, but of course, that can get infected by a bad idea or a bad approach. So that that American ice hockey player, he, I don't doubt his intentions for one second. He probably wanted to imbue a, a strength in his kids. Like, yeah. you know, don't cry. Cry is a sign of weakness. Whereas... You know, that's just, like you said, they could be saying that to a therapist years later. Yeah. Um, not that going to therapy is a bad thing, but <laughs> going to therapy because of bad parenting is something that you would want to avoid for your kids, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, I I kind of, I, I empathise with, with that guy because I would have seen crying as a as a sign of weakness in the past. Now I, I kind of embrace it and I realise it as, as a healthy thing. But... Getting back to something you said earlier, you mentioned being down in the past. So, unfortunately, this was missing the recording, and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you politely to recount those experiences again, if you don't mind. Yeah, I suppose like feeling down can mean like a lot of things. Like I suppose like like a lot of people, um, there's just plenty of mornings where you're just like why the fuck do I have to get out of bed? It'd be so much nicer just to lie here. Uh, but then, to be honest, like, I always tell, I always know, like, if I did just lie there and not go to work, whatever, you feel probably twice, three times your shit when you do that. So I'm always kind of like, yeah, I'll get on with that. But in fairness, that, that sort of being down and, like, just having bad days, like, everyone in the entire world goes through that. Like, so I don't really even pass much heat about that because, like, I've some days where I'm laughing and joking and other days where I'm a bit tick about stuff, but, it's not really um, huge to even ponder about, but there has been a few times in my life where I'd say, like, I properly got down and it was different. Like, I remember when I was in fifth year in secondary school, uh, I just, I, I think it probably was an actual physical illness, like, which then had repercussions on me, my mental state. But I remember it, it, I was... I just remember getting a really bad rash at one point, like, which basically covered my entire body, and that was never fully figured out what it was, like, I was coughing and a few different things, but it was never properly diagnosed, I don't know, but definitely one symptom of that was that I just felt really, really down, and, like, for, for months, like, maybe from, like, July to, like, March or so, like, feeling fairly shit almost all the time, like, and getting to a point where I'd be worrying, like, will I ever feel happy again, like, will, will I ever feel myself again? Um, and I suppose uh, I didn't do anything particularly special to actually get over that uh, I just 
like I suppose you were talking about therapy and stuff I'm I'm lucky when you're saying I'm good about expressing my emotions but there was numerous occasions where I'd break down to my mother yeah. basically I'd, I'd, I'd tell her basically I'm just feeling crap on that and we'd talk about it and I'd always feel better after it but uh, the feeling better would only actually last a certain amount of time until you kind of feel shit again um, but I suppose it was a relief to always tell her these things but yeah I suppose just knowing somebody's there for you is good um, but yeah I didn't do anything particularly special like I just kind of kept going to school kept doing things and it wasn't I didn't go from being down really down like as I would say I was legitimately very very down to being really happy like overnight it was actually a slow enough process where I would kind of think about things I'm like am I happier yeah you'd almost start to think like am I happier am I, am I? well when something good when you're kind of starting to get out you're like oh Am I happy? Am I? Does this mean I'm back to normal? Like this kind of going on in your head. Okay. Um, but I suppose, yeah, that wasn't like, even though, yeah, you, you possibly wasn't back to, like my most happy or whatever, like or what it was in like other years. But it was better than what it was, and you kind of you have to be patient about that process. That that's going to take a while. And I remember, it took like a while. But I remember like a one point in six year when I was. It was, it was said it was going out, but it wasn't going out with this girl. Basically, we, we, we dated for a little while, and then she said she wanted to end, and it was completely fair or whatever. But I remember even, like, when she was telling me, and after, I was like, oh, this is so shit. But then I was kind of like, you know, I actually don't feel that down about life. I was like, I was kind of like, yeah. You know, it's like a few shit things that happened or whatever. It was, like, leaving her studying and that. But I was like, yeah, to be honest, like, I don't feel almost internally down like I, I just feel like this is kind of more in a shit day realm of experiences rather than my life's actually like how can I everything positively like I was like I'm probably going to feel good in like a week or two again like and that was that was a real relief but that was it was a definite type of being down which I hadn't experienced before and it's a bit of a bit of a weird one I suppose like you, you mentioned sorry to interrupt you, but you yeah. mentioned the, the time frame July to March which is long for a start um, but when you say March, was there any sort of catalyst? I know you said it was a, a gradual a gradual healing process, but was there anything that really informed that around that, that new year, kind of February-March period to make yourself feel better? I fundamentally feel uh, the weather is actually very, very fucking hard on us in Ireland. Uh, maybe, maybe in other, like, kind of Nordic countries, whatever. Um, but I feel the winter can be very long and just... The actual lack of sunlight and then we feel oh we feel so down but like your physical well-being is so attached to your emotional well-being like just getting sunlight or being out a bit later not being fucking freezing all the time like i know you say oh that's not really about my mental health and it's definitely not all about your mental health but it has an effect like when it's just dark all day like it's bloody hard to think positively i suppose like i was we all get a bit of seasonal sadness this year i had kind of seasonal sadness on top of having whatever weird illness I had on top of a few other things which all crumbled into a bit of shitness for a while. Yeah. Um but no, even every year like I feel like there's 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 some weeks in the winter where you just feel a bit shit and I genuinely think it's because there's fuck all sunlight out. Yeah. Well as as far as I'm concerned you can't help but let bad weather and darkness have <laughs> a negative impact on your mood you know yeah. it, it just does you yeah. know there's there's no really change in that you can change your attitudes towards it and you can maybe learn some coping mechanisms and tools but it it does uh, it does affect your emotional well-being and then 
brightness and sunshine does help it like so there's a reason we want to go to Spain and sunny Spain or whatever and all this like yeah it, it, it clearly apart from just warm feel nice like it there must be like something deeper than that like that we actually all really want to do that yeah and um for maybe of interest to yourself and, and the listener in relation to the physical kind of more measurable sickness that you had which seemed to be the real instance in which you started feeling more depressed you came out in a rash yeah. and a rash is on the surface and it's a response to inflammatory markers being activated so basically a rash is a sign of inflammation okay and there is there's an interesting theory about emotional suffering and, and depression which involves inflammation so for instance imagine you have tuberculosis or you have a really really bad flu right well sickness behavior is you stay in bed you you put you you stay in darkness you're just you you don't you don't interact with other people because you don't want to give them the disease as well um you are very withdrawn you you're secluded from the rest of the group if you're talking about you know historically speaking you know people with illnesses were divided from the rest of the healthy tribe or the healthy group of people and it would seem that sickness behavior is very similar to say depressive behavior so it makes perfect sense to me why a bout of depression if you want to call it that or a time where you were particularly down came hand in hand with an instance in which you got a rash and you had some weird coughing symptoms you know yeah um so that that makes that makes total sense but Moving on from your that that particular experience, you mentioned earlier while my recorder was off about when you returned to um, Ireland yeah, from no, America. The reason I sort of brought it up was because it was uh, when I was talking about when I was in fifth or whatever that type of down. It was very specific, but yeah, I worried about my my happiness. Whereas, yeah, I suppose the only other time like when I was kind of looking and I knew. I knew it was going through a shit period, but it was it was a very different sort of shit period. Like it was, it was it was complete. I would say anxiety was was probably what I was suffering. Definitely not depression, because um, like I I had energy to do things. I was doing things. It was just whenever I would go to do things, I would basically have no confidence to do it. Like I would kind of would be in my mind, like oh, you know, if I go for this job interview, even if I get it, like I'll be I'll be shit at the job. Like I, I won't be able to do it. No matter, like, you'd be sore, like, and then you'd almost look yourself in the mirror, like, what's wrong with you? Like, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, you're just, you're just growing up tall person. Like, why can't you just do stuff like the rest of human beings do? Like, what is, what is so physically shit about you that you can't seem to get on with life and the rest of the people can? Like, I suppose that was, that was just getting me down for a while and I was living at home and stuff. And I was like, oh, and yeah, it was, it was kind of just a crisis of confidence. Like, even when it's, when I was playing football, it's kind of like, I don't want to be playing football. That's where, like, my idea of, like, just keep sticking at something's actually a good thing. So I really didn't want to do it, but I was like, I'm worried if I give up at one thing, I'll just give up at everything. Right. And I was kind of like, you just, I was like, I know it's a shit period. I was well aware of that, but I was like, this is something I kind of have to persevere through. Yeah. And in a way, I did. Thankfully, my, my brother told me about, like, a springboard course, which is these, like, courses you can do for free basically up in NCI or other colleges like they're very much geared towards uh, 
I suppose computers and stuff because there's such a lack of computer skills but I had had taken a deep interest in analytics uh, after being in America which ironically the interest I've taken in was actually from the company Cambridge Analytics uh, which is obviously very topical right now but yeah. yeah I remember I was unbelievably impressed with all this information Ted Cruz had uh, for his uh, primary voters. Yeah. But anyway, so that's, that's an interesting side note, but that yeah, was actually yeah. kind of a current event. Yeah, very topical right now. But yeah, I, I did a first row view of all the information, which basically was taken from people, but yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I, so I suppose, and then when I started that course, it's like, oh, boy, fuck, can't I do this? Like, and I had no confidence to do it, but... I was very, I was very lucky. I suppose that more so just my brother was there, and um, I suppose my brother is actually a bit of a tough love kind of character. Like he was, he he was kind of like ah, you'll. He just kept on sort of telling me you'll do it, like, and it's hard to explain. But I was telling myself, yeah, I'll do it, and I suppose I just kept on handing the assignments and stuff. Once I actually was living up with him, like I felt a bit better, but I did also feel a bit shit that I still wasn't able to pay for myself or anything. Um, so then like I just I happened to come across a Paddy Power job like that I applied for didn't think I'd get it and um, I actually did get it like the interviewer was pretty sound about it obviously did a good enough job at that and then like when I first got that job I was like oh how will I be able to do this but then I suppose I just did it and then like it it actually the first stuff I was kind of doing wasn't that complicated and that but it's just, just like anything one thing leads to another and then after a while like there was some days like I remember I think it was actually like when I was walking into work and I was like you know I'm actually walking to work here but I'm not dreading this at all I, I'm very confident I can achieve what I am needed what is needed to achieve be achieved of me today Yeah, and that was a, a definite turning point For and obviously then like having a job even though I was paying fairly shit at the start like but having just enough to scrape by was like definitely a huge milestone I felt like yeah to actually to pay for your rent to pay for your your food and stuff to even like as as I was kind of broken away so I could barely even but like just to have to pay for a pint and a couple of cans like whatever it was the essential oh the cans are like about fifty percent of my happiness so I'd say at times but God. I know that that's that's a complete sarcasm right there yeah <laughs> I'm happy to hear it <laughs> but uh, no I suppose yeah it was it was all but I. I suppose what I wanted to almost say is that, yeah, it was just from my experience, like, even though I look back at the two points as, like, really weird points, and I knew it was, like, I was, like, this is a shit period, and I was, I was like, I just kind of have to get through this. Yeah. But it was actually, it's funny that they're so different, like, the types of downness you can get, and I suppose maybe, that's maybe just an interesting point, like, that there, there's many different ways of feeling shit. Yeah, there, there are. <laughs> there are, and uh, much like yourself, I've... I was unaware and unacquainted with anxiety, and uh, my ex- my initially my initial emotional emotionally intense experience was with depression, um, or just with with sadness. It, it doesn't need to be labelled as depression. I was just I was very very down, much like the, the expression you used, and it's anxiety and anxiety and and sadness and being feeling down are are two very distinct things for me. Um, when when I was down, I was feeling feeling in a state of despair. I was I was kind of totally feeling hopeless about the world and 
just deeply, deeply unhappy and unhappy in the framework I described earlier of not that I was walking around with a frown on my face all the time, but that my baseline was just really low. Like my baseline was feeling shit about myself. And then anything above that was kind of a bonus. So that was that was how how I experienced depression in a in a very brief nutshell. And in terms of anxiety, just the fear, you know, yeah. the, the absolute fear, fear is definitely the keyword. Yeah, you're just you you and you're constantly worrying about the things that are to come, and I it manifested for me in an anxiety attacks, which is totally distinct from let's say a bout of depression, as as some people say. I get what an anxiety attack would be, a short, a relatively short moment, you know, a relatively short span of time in which. I thought I was I would die, like, you know. Wow. Uh, the uh, hyperventilating, breathing very very fast and very shallow breathing, and um, kind of almost lose motor control in the sense that the way it manifests me, I'd be very still and I wouldn't be able to speak for um, maybe a multiple of hours after. And, and sometimes I feel I feel them coming on. I've I've learned some coping mechanisms now where I do some deep breathing and stuff to try and combat that emotion but um, very very distinct feelings but getting back to your your emotional experience with with anxiety you mentioned how it came when you returned home from America when you reflect now is there was there something that happened in America or was there something that happened when you came home that made you start feeling anxious because you know you you're a very confident person and to have that confidence taken from you is is surprising to me. Yeah, um, I suppose it was maybe less than any one individual experience. Um, I suppose I'd I'd like I kind of looked up to America. Well, not looked up to America, but like just followed sort of everything about it for years. And I was like, I have to get there. And I possibly even had a, a kind of an image in my mind that I would go to live there. Okay, like for and I was like, oh, maybe a. And like I just I love American football. I love a lot of things about the culture over there and stuff. <laughs> Maybe almost less so since I spent a year over there. Yeah. I, I, I do still love plenty of things about it, but plenty of stuff pissed me off about it as well. Um but I suppose yeah, I just I had this expectation that I was I was gonna go over there and I was kinda gonna conquer everything and I was gonna be an all amazing experience, but in in reality a lot of time I was making absolutely dirt money like like we're really, really fucking scraping to make a living and having to ask home for a few quid here and there, which really, really got my goat. Yeah. That felt so shit like doing that. Yeah. Um but yeah, so I just had this experience and then like when I realised like that I wasn't basically gonna get another visa to stay on because you need like a specific skill and stuff and basically I was working with like congressmen and lobbyist groups and stuff, which is pretty like important stuff and that, but it's it's mainly just writing little memos and stuff. Um, so some of the times, like, my writing... So I have dyslexia, so, like, little spelling mistakes and that was often, like, they were sort of like, oh, can you cut that out and stuff? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll try my best. Yeah. Um, eventually, my last job, I just told you, man, I was like, look, I, I honestly, actually, I do reread all this stuff. I was just like, there will be spelling mistakes. I am dyslexic. And he's like, oh, I didn't know that. And I was like, yeah, possibly should have told him that earlier. But... Um, yeah, I suppose that's just another thing. You're kind of like, you feel like if you tell these sort of things, 
then you're going to be viewed as, oh, that's nice, but uh, no, we're not actually going to take you kind of thing. So yeah. I never would bother mention that in an interview just in case they're kind of like, oh, is this guy just like not going to be as good, therefore we shouldn't hire him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I suppose that was an, an issue and then like to actually just have to come home and then like, yeah, I suppose just be living at home and stuff. And like, obviously there's just the, you're living in Washington DC, like you're passing like the Lincoln Memorial and stuff like most days and like going by Congress and like, just passing all these and like passing by really important people like oh there's Paul Ryan in the hallway kind of stuff and yeah that sort of thing and the, cow, like, the cows in Kilmaine and Wood the cows in Kilmaine and Wood like I was just like <laughs> yeah so naturally there's going to be a bit like that's going to feel shit but yeah, yeah it was I definitely did take a hit to my confidence of oh, why the fuck wasn't I able to like do a class over there yeah. and stuff like well why am I just like back here now even after that great experience but yeah yeah uh, a few things bring to mind um, you kind of get a, a reverse culture shock I don't know if that's the right phrase for it but you go to a different culture and you get a culture, sh- culture shock and then when you return to your home culture you kind of get it again that you ha- do you that do. happened to me yeah. um, so actually I think this might have happened to both of us but I remember basically so anyone who's never been in Erasmus uh, might not know that Erasmus is maybe like the best thing ever. Like it's, uh, to be honest, in my experience, maybe it was different years. You did not that much study. Like, well, or the college was very, was was very easy to be honest to do from my experience. And like, I got to do a load of traveling in the middle of Europe. I was living in Vienna, which it's actually just been named the most livable city in the world for the ninth year running. And I can completely see why, because the trains are really cheap beer's really cheap everything runs on time life just seems really slow or something and just easy over there so I remember and then like yeah just everything seemed to happen then you come back to Dublin and obviously like there's traffic fucking everywhere and getting buses is probably worse than torture or is torture in many sense because Dublin bus is the worst thing on earth (laughs) Um, and you really feel like oh yeah I I could I could have an entire hour podcast about (laughs) Dublin bus but anyway Another time, maybe. Another time, maybe. I, I think that would just be. I just sound like an old man ranting. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, yeah. No, it, it is. It, it is the. It is the culture shock. Yeah, it's. The, well, I suppose it's. It's coming home when you realise. Oh fuck! You just. This is life again, or something. It, it almost seems like an. Ex, for me, it almost seemed like an extended holiday, like Erasmus. Yeah. Even though, like, yeah, you, you did your modules, you did something, but never felt particularly stressful like it was a lot yeah. of partying and stuff and it was fucking class yeah mine yeah. mine is basically uh, interchangeable with your experience except the college was was very 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 yeah. very difficult um, but you know that's that's a non a non non secular um, do you mean any nice girls over there uh, oh yeah just, just the one <laughs> yeah yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah it's, 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 it's mad to think that you know I went over there and um, was thinking to myself I won't I I, I make a few friends here and then I'll come home and have the crack back here and nothing much will change but sure I obviously have a long term girlfriend now so you know for me for me going abroad was, was a great thing for my confidence um, and I, I came home with a much greater confidence then having been away but it can it can make you anxious also for all the reasons you described and I did I did experience that too it wasn't it wasn't all rosy when I came back. It wasn't like, oh yeah, I had a great experience for the year. Now I'm ready to relish life yeah, in Ireland again. Yeah. It's it's just not. It's not as simple as that. Yeah. But um, this this month I've I've 
been curious with this for a long time Go for it. with yourself and with some with some other friends I have too. Um so you mentioned earlier that you're dyslexic. Yeah. And we share a lot of the same friends from, from school. And I remember in school we used to give you so much abuse <laughs> for for being dyslexic. And yeah. it was all it was all in jest and it was all quite It was hundred percent in jest. I never I sorry, I'll let you finish the question. So yeah, cheers. Um stop interrupting me. What are you <laughs> messing? So I I you know, we'd we'd co- we'd corner you with chairs and make you <laughs> make you spell dinosaur, or you know, you know, threaten to beat you up if you didn't sing. You know, stuff stuff. You're you're literally laughing about now because it's funny. But when I when I reflect on it, I think, wow, that is so 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 harsh. And I remember my own experience where people would would do things in a similar jest with me, I used to suffer in silence quite significantly, well, you know? And how how did you respond to that? And how maybe... Why are you, why are you surprised by how I experienced that kind of thing? And how, how did you respond to it? Yeah, it's... I don't actually know, but this is... For some reason, yeah, when that stuff was happening, I never felt like there was any underlying hatred. And I yeah. completely understood that. And no, because I remember, like, I, I definitely have experienced, like, in life that I would get quite upset, like, at a little comment or something here or there. But I would generally have the feeling that, that person didn't like me. Okay. Whereas I knew what all you boys, I was, like, underneath it all, like, I, me- I remember somebody, like, telling me before, like, sorry to name drop, but somebody was like, oh, Connor Sheridan hates you. And I was like, Connor Sheridan 100% does not hate me. Yeah. I was like, he will kick the shit out of me, but he 100% does not hate me. I was like, it's it's a hard one to explain, but, like, it is it is the case, like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, no, no, because I understand, I know, maybe in your experience when, because there were, like, I would feel like maybe in first, second, third, there were some experience where basically there were people that wouldn't like, like, would be making little comments or stuff. And I didn't like that. And, mm. but it never particularly that kept me too down. Mm. Um, but I suppose in, in that distinction, though, I always, I, I, I think our underlying emotions are way clearer than sometimes almost what we say or do to each other. It's, it's actually a hard one to describe, but yeah, like, Communications like was like thirty percent verbal or even less. Like yeah. it's, I don't know. It's it's funny like how we can actually say so much to each other just with a glance of an eye or just yeah. some little things. But yeah, and just the fact you know, I don't know. You know when someone does dislike you or doesn't dislike you. Yeah, yeah I suppose when you were doing that, I legitimately found it funny. Yeah, and, and there were some other times. Like I remember one day you used me as basic bait uh, <laughs> to like. Uh, you were pretending to bring me in, but it was Connor Fahey's birthday. And I think we brought him in and then kicked the shit out of Fahey, uh, which was great. But yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> really, really, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Compassionate but, and understanding. Compassionate and understanding. Meaningful interpersonal experiences. Yeah, meaningful interpersonal. <laughs> but um, also, for anyone who has not go to an all-boys school, it is exactly like the in-betweeners. The in-betweeners is not... Only not exaggerated, it's actually maybe tame for what happens in boys' schools, and that is exactly the type of stuff which happens in all boys' schools. Yeah, it's, it's a. I. 
maybe where I differed from you was that maybe I was more insecure. So uh, I maybe didn't have that confidence that people that were my friends genuinely didn't mind the things that they were slagging or something. Or I was just very, very insecure and, and particularly sensitive. So, for instance, if somebody, uh, I don't know, one thing that used to, for whatever reason, really grind my gears was people calling me fathead. Right. So, uh, there was something about me that I felt that they were almost like, maybe it was a judgment thing and, and it, because it was something that I couldn't change, it used to frustrate the hell out of me. Now, in retrospect, it's it, it's silly that I had the reaction that I had, but it didn't make the emotional intensity of it any less serious at the time in that like I would be I would get so angry so 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 angry and now I understand that you know there was never any poor intention on, on the party of the other people but so was like, I picked it up the wrong way and when you mention if other people did it that weren't your friends mm. that would be so much worse and that was true for me that yeah. was absolutely true so Let's say Dicky calls me fathead, and I go, "Oh, Dicky, leave me alone, or whatever." Party with fathead. <laughs> now I can smile. <laughs> if somebody else did that, I like want to fight them. Yeah, yeah. You know, I yeah. want to like attack them. Yeah, and um, and it's it's I don't know. It's a, I suppose different. It's a different time, and you've a, you've a different uh, mentality towards things. But yeah, Pat's was Pat's secondary school is a crazy place, and it is. Um, it, it has such a bearing on the rest of your life. Like I feel, no matter almost what you do, you almost you'll always kind of think back to school days. Mm. I don't think that'll ever be different. Like even I'd say when you're in the sixties or that, and you'll be doing something, you'll be kind of like, yeah. Oh, wonder almost how does this relate? Maybe not everyone's like that, and I'm, I'm not saying I completely dwell or I romanticize the past, right? But yeah. it's definitely something you you think about. Yeah, I think. One thing I love about certain people is that they always kind of remember where they come from, so and remember where they've been. So for me, I celebrate the fact that you know I grew up in Kilbarry and uh, you know I went to Les Mullen School and I, I went to Pat's and um, you know I, I own those experiences and I I reflect on the things that informed my character and helped develop the person I am today. So I suppose secondary school, are, are those years are such formative years. Now, I actually hated secondary school. Oh. I, I despised it. Really? Um, yeah. Now, I will never forget those years because they were very informative and they, they really helped construct the person I am today. But the the experience I had during those years was quite tumultuous. You know, you're, I I my teenage years were quite difficult. Um, yeah. And sec- secondary school was a part of that. You know, I don't. I'll never I'll never forget St. Pat's, and I'll never forget my experience there. And I'll reflect fondly upon the friends I've made. And that have persisted to the current day and undoubtedly will persist through in, into the future. But at the same time, I'm not going to lie to myself and say, oh, it wasn't a class. Jesus, I'd love to go back to those times for a week and just go to class. You know, I, I that would be crap for me. I, I would also have no interest in that either. But yeah. I feel I feel like that about a lot of life, like, 
you, you do something then you just kind of have to move on so I was saying earlier about the springboard course I was doing like I remember like when I left college I was like oh this is so shy actually being out in the real world like and I'm sure a lot of people get that experience like you have so much more responsibility and stuff but then I remember like when I had like the first week of that springboard course and I think there was like someone was like come to this college event and I was like oh yeah cool and then I was there and I was just like no I was like I'm completely past this in my life yeah. I was like no I'm not sure if I just really like want to go to this club or whatever right now I don't know and it was sort of a realisation or sort of like as fun as that time was you're past that time now yeah. like it's <laughs> and I, I feel when you're saying that about secondary school like I always feel like once you've done it and I can personally I look back with fond memories but I would never be like I want to go back there yeah. almost ever <laughs> like yeah, it's yeah. something you've done but yeah you've, you've done it like this this might seem a little bit out of context but it's another thing that I wanted to mention to you over the course of our conversation you come across as somebody who's very hard on themselves at times so for instance when you were living at home you you felt uh, almost an onus upon you to get out into that real world and get working and stuff and you know you when you were sharing an apartment with your brother in Dublin it frustrated you that you weren't able to pay for your own accommodation and you hate when you were in America you hated coming back or messaging home to look for money when you were when you were broke and I understand that completely but I also think it's important to remember the people in our lives that support us. They do it not out of the good of their own heart. They do it because they want to. Yeah. So, yeah. for instance, imagine put put yourself in the shoes of your brother or your or your parents. Um, you would want to help your child or your sibling. Yeah. Flourish and thrive in their lives, and you know they're not that you're not like some sort of charity case. You know you're. That you actually enrich their experiences by reaching out to them. You know, you're giving them an opportunity to help someone that they care and love very, very deeply. So, now I'm not saying you should relish the fact that you're, you, I'm not saying that someone should relish the fact that they're super dependent on somebody, but I, what I do think it's, it's actually important to expose that vulnerability and, you know, own it and not uh, punish yourself for being in financial distress when there's people who are there to help you and wanting to help you and um, when there's people that you like if you're looking for somewhere to live you you talk to those that you know care about you and you're you're giving them an opportunity to actually feel good about you know helping out their friend their sibling their their son their daughter their you know it's the people in their lives that, that matter yeah no it's yeah, I suppose, like, I don't want to, like, almost say, like, or judge anyone else who, who has to do that, because we all have to do that, and I actually, like, I know myself, like, even if, like, a mayor or something needs a lend of money, like, I could almost never be happier to almost give them yeah. that lend of money, like, it actually, you're like, yeah, fucking of course, like, pay me back whenever, like, I really actually don't care about the money, like, as long as you're all right, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I understand that, like, when you're actually doing it, it doesn't feel bad, but... Uh, yeah, I suppose it is like a prideful thing or something. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it is. Pride is a horrible thing. Pride is a horrible thing. Horrible, yeah. horrible thing in, 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 from my perspective. No, it is. And oh, to, to take it to a bigger level, um, like to take it quite dark, but like 
so obviously suicide is an awful thing but um i've noticed like just from doing some research like places and like with people it's strong it's like so japan has a very high suicide rate uh the traveling community in ireland has a very high suicide rate um and i think native american indians have a very high suicide rate um one common although they're completely could be almost different cultures in so many respects one huge uh, huge common theme throughout those cultures and people can completely contradict me if they'd like on this but i would think is that those cultures have a high importance on pride and the kind of a way of doing things amongst amongst their groups which is they're all brilliant groups and fantastic but yes it clearly i think the fact they do put so much emphasis on pride pride does lead to enormous stress for people many people within those communities yeah that's and countries yeah that's a seriously a shoot observation and uh yeah it, it, it thinking on it now it, it seems to ring ring true i never i never thought of it pride is definitely a, a, a bad thing in my own life and i try and you know reduce the size of my ego as much as i can and that's why i i almost purposefully do embarrassing things to take away any sense of pride which i might develop by trying to act cool or something yeah, because like I'm prideful in that way, but like I also, yeah, I do, I do, I I hope I'm a fairly lighthearted. Maybe, maybe actually I am actually an unbelievably serious. But like, no, I would have no qualms about dressing up in a silly thing and like, or just doing a stupid prank with the lads for the crack. Like, even if yeah, I look stupid out of it. Yeah. So, I yeah, I, I, yeah. Obviously, pride is a funny thing. It's many different folds. But sorry, go on. I am. Um, I uphold humility as a virtue over far greater than anything like pride uh, and I think the more humility a person has the more uh, understanding they are of other people and the more they like, strive for things like equality so yeah. uh, you know you, you don't you don't think you're above anybody else you have the humility to understand that we're all all in the same boat we're all experiencing the human condition we all have shared experiences and nothing necessarily makes me particularly special other than the fact that everybody is do you know um if, if that if that makes any sense and you don't you i don't i wouldn't qualify you as a serious character in my okay, own mind good, I think good good you are you are serious <laughs> in that you care about things and you're very you have certain distinct interests but you know it, it's you have things that you joke about constantly yeah. um and i th- i think that's a that's a fun aspect of your character and which which well, i actually in a funny sort of way i actually i take comedy very seriously if, if that makes any sense yeah. um, with the fact like i think if if comedy is allowed to flourish i i almost see that as like as almost big a pillar within a country as like fucking proper courts or something like having comedians like saying like a place like there's a good documentary economist did recently like this satirist in Egypt who was basically ripping the piss out of politicians but like um say something like the onion or uh, working for the whisper news um like the fact that they can actually like rip the piss out of politicians and like even though just to make no bones about myself I'm like a member of Fine Gael, but like I actually I like the fact that they will rip the piss out of the government. I think that is fucking huge for a country or anywhere like that. That a person has 
the right to basically take the piss off the supposed most important man mm. or woman in the country like yeah. and yeah, sorry so I suppose that, that might be going off topic no no yeah, I, 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 I it's actually a question I wanted to ask you it was about uh, you know your sense of humour and, and your importance in comedy in terms of your emotional well-being so I think I'm, I'm delighted you, you mentioned it so you framed it particularly in terms of politics how yeah. important satire is and I, I yeah. couldn't agree more yeah. and I think solemnity and seriousness breeds taboo like it's, it's, yeah. it's a precursor to stigma yeah. and that's not a good thing ever um, so getting back to your emotional well-being your sense of humour and your comedic tendencies how do they inform your emotional experiences on a day-to-day basis like for instance you instead of referring to the famous Irish satire page as Waterford Whispered News Waterford Waterford Whispers you described it as War Team uh, <laughs> elaborate on that <laughs> and also um, how important humour is on a day-to-day basis for you yeah so basically um, on a trip to to Galway as we call it that weekend Galween okay. uh, years ago basically if you said uh, War Team as Water so, sorry, sorry. If you said water instead of warteen, okay. you were made to do ten push-ups. Okay. Right? I don't really understand why, but okay. it was just made up, and it's persistent. It's completely thing. persistent. Like in our house, it's it's one hundred percent a rule, and like I, I would go weeks and months without saying water. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll happily do those ten or twelve push-ups or whatever I have to do when I get home to the house, and lads pick up on this. Um, and yeah, that, that that seems like the stupidest thing ever, but I don't know, I just I find it fucking hilarious, so yeah. So, the reason I ask that specific question, like how, how important is is humour in, in your in your day-to-day life and in, in, in helping you maintain a, a decent baseline? Yeah, I, I actually, yeah, that's actually one thing I don't think about hugely, like how important is this to me, but I don't know, I, I do find it, yeah, I suppose I just like some things I find funny and I find something like that, like a ridiculous rule and then like trying to form logic around it, like fucking the funniest thing ever for some reason, even how strange people who are listening to this might think it is. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. I, I've, like I suppose it's, it's kind of very much a college thing. Like I remember you'd go in the first day and then sorry, we'd, we'd go, go back to the apartment and like, be load lads in the house because Black Monday or whatever and then you just start making up rules like uh, only person not sitting down and wearing red red shoes or whatever has to drink and just yeah. keep it and then if anyone doesn't say you're like oh well if we don't have rules like we're just anarchy like anarchy's <laughs> terrible and like I don't know I love that kind of I suppose comedy is just is using rationale is putting it to a really stupid face or just or just having one part within a rational equation completely fucking stupid yeah 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 and I, yeah i suppose i do find it i don't know i've never really taught the importance but yeah i do like to laugh like i suppose like ever of course then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's a bit of a silly question but i, yeah. well, I was just i was just no, curious no, interesting interesting yeah um, i yeah i don't know yeah it's probably value friendship or something or yeah, yeah. Sort of thing, like. but it's 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 always been an important part of our shared group of friends yeah. uh, relationships we, we, we always employ humour and we joke about things and I do think it's a very good thing and one thing I want to do 
about emotional well-being and, and the conversation around it. I don't know how successfully I am doing this or how I will be able to maybe innovate with the help of others to do it is to kind of be able to laugh about everything, you know, because yeah. it makes it, it makes it that much more accessible. Like, I think when we constantly use phrases, like solemn phrases that come from a diagnostic manual, like, oh, yeah, mental health and yeah, depression and, uh, you know, anxiety and stuff, you're kind of, you're removing that human element of it. And it's not, it's not a very, necessarily a very relatable phrase. When people talk a lot about the experience, you can relate to that experience of depression, but depression is a, is a clinical term and mental health is a clinical term taken from the, the DSM, as, as far as I know. And the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Psychological Disorders, I think it is. So I I try and place more uh, focus on uh, emotional well-being, and, uh, which I feel is a more relatable thing which we can talk about. And something that hasn't doesn't have that solemn and uh, serious connotation. Um, that's that's a, that's just an aside. Um, I prepared some questions Go before our conversation, and. I want to review some of them to make sure I'm not going to miss out on anything. So bear with me just a moment. For... So are you familiar with the idea of an inner monologue? Basically just the, the just voice just in your head. Your head yeah. The voice in your head, yeah. So do you do you have an inner monologue? Oh, oh yeah. All the time? All okay. the time. Okay, yeah. So you're like pretty much everyone. Yeah, well, I would think that's yeah, very, very, very standard, yeah. yeah. Um, what is your relationship like with your inner monologue? Uh, yeah, as I said, like, apart from, like, that anxious phase in my life and stuff, it's certainly actually fairly good. Yeah, I try and, like, <laughs> I try and, like, I suppose, think of big questions or something and then try and rationale or, like, or if I was going to talk to this person, how would I go about it? And it's... I suppose, yeah, it's just like that, yeah. I'm just always trying to, like, think of different things that, yeah, it could be, like, it could be some futuristic thing or some history thing or sports or, like, how would I go about explaining this or... Okay. I don't know, maybe I'm probably explaining this bad, I don't know. No, well, it's it's a... It's actually... The reason I ask you the question is because it's something that we're all experts at, as far as I'm concerned, talking to ourselves in our mind. Yeah. And it's never really something we talk about in in the open so what I'm curious is to find out about you and others how what their relationship is like with their inner mind you know do they do they have conversations with themselves um, does the inner monologue judge you do are, do you separate your mind from your inner monologue um, is there is there ever any moments when your inner monologue is silent and how would you like your your inner monologue to develop or change or grow? Uh, I'm, it's just something that I'm quite curious about. Well, yeah. Um, no, I suppose my inner monologue, my inner monologue is me. Yeah. Um, actually, I suppose I've often grown up. Sometimes I I have an inner monologue where I'm like I almost feel like let's let's just explain what's happening here to a child or okay. something. Or like, or, or somebody who's never like seen this before, like, how would I explain this kind of? Okay. And start, but no, I would say it's yeah, fairly positive. Like, no, I'm I'm never particularly hating on myself in my inner monologue. Okay. Um, like no, sometimes it like it has to be a bit in the morning, like get up, you lazy prick, sort of thing. 
Yeah. And um, there's a bit of that, but like that's again, it's not particularly negative. It's it's more just like, come on, let let's just not do that. Let's just or do it better, or kind yeah. of. Or, it's like that, but no, it's it's not particularly like oh, you're a loser and like that. It's no. Yeah, it's, I suppose. Yeah, no, I'd say it's relatively positive or just like kind of just me being me inside. Like, yeah. well, one thing I my relationship with my inner monologue is uh, is quite similar, and one thing I try and do is quieten it uh, during my meditation practice. So. I don't meditate much and it's actually something I wouldn't mind starting to do a bit but go on. Yeah, so I'll just give you a, a, a brief insight into my meditation practice. So my inner monologue is racing all the time and meditating for me is a certain amount of time which is dedicated to quietening that inner monologue into a mindful space where I'm focusing all my attention on one object. In, in my instance, the object I use is my breathing. So I sit down, upright back, hands on my knees, and take deep breaths and try and focus all my cognitive energy on my breath. And the moment my inner monologue starts speaking or thinking about something else that isn't my breath, I try and notice that phenomenon and come back to the breath. And for me, I try and train my inner monologue, for want of a better phrase, to be less powerful and to not detract from my emotional experiences. So with that in mind, I'm very curious about my own, and that's why I asked you about yours. Yeah, actually, one thing I have thought about a bit before is that, uh, do you ever... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, sometimes you, you feel like you're almost staring at your life from a distance. Okay. Like, almost no matter what you do. Yeah, I have quite an active imagination and stuff, but yeah, I feel actually don't live in the moment enough. Okay. And that, yeah, when you're actually doing something, you're basically thinking about something else and you're always thinking about something else and then you, you find you're actually not living your life. Yeah. Um. That I'd say that happens to probably plenty of people. It definitely happens to me sometimes. Absolutely. And yeah... Something you should, yeah, I suppose, for, it's what you're, from what I'm kind of getting, the practicality of that is that, yeah, there's so much noise going on in your head, it's it's actually get out of that and uh, just live. Oh, yeah. Am, yeah. I, am I wrong? I don't know. No, no, you're, there, is, there is no wrong answer. It's yeah, a, it's yeah. A, it's a totally personal <laughs> and subjective thing. Uh, that's, that's, that's very interesting. Um, and uh, one last question. Cool. What have been the most useful emotional lessons you have learned over the last 25 years? Um, I can rephrase that to be what emotional lessons would you try and impart to a child which is now in your care, an imaginary hypothetical child? Uh, I suppose... If things go bad, don't don't give up on it. Like um, you can always do better. You can always come at it again. There is always another thing to do. That I don't know perseverance and that yeah. I suppose life is hard. Um, <laughs> there's, there's no two ways of breaking that down. The more I think about it, life is fucking hard. Like. Um, 
So yeah, don't beat yourself too much up about stuff. When you do stuff, try your best. And you will often, I suppose, like, again, like, when you're a kid, you're like, oh, I'm going to be Ronaldo or whatever. But then you realise when you actually start to play a sport that, like, it's going to be all these lads bigger and better than you. And it's that's kind of the way all, all life goes. You're like, oh, I'm good at this thing. But then you'll find out there's, like, 10,000 people better than you. Um, but that's just a part of life we kind of have to expect. And that... And almost learn to live with it's that yeah life is hard but if, if you keep actually working hard at stuff the little things do add up to you being having a good life in many ways um i suppose life lessons um actually to bring up a film i love the film yes man big big proponent of maybe even the philosophy behind it of just getting people who are kind of bit in the dumps and stuff to just start saying yes to everything I've noticed about my father years ago and I've, I've always tried to Im- import it into my own life but if somebody asks me something unless I have a really good reason not to do it I'll do it sort of thing and I've also I've also noticed that if you've if you've one thing to do in a day you often don't get it done but if you've 20 you'll often get like 18 of them done and then if you get 18 things on the day you're not doing too bad like yeah. sort of thing so I often, I like to keep myself busy. I like to say yes things. I like to have a busy schedule and do loads of things. I feel it's, for me, I feel it's a good thing. And I feel, yeah, just being active. I'm rambling all over the place here, no, I know. but no, you're, uh, not, you're not. Yeah, I, I, I think those are all good things. Um, it's actually, there's a good song, uh, Wear Sunscreen. It's not really a song, but it's like a, some graduation speech. Okay. And uh, yeah, I suppose I am probably very hard on myself, like as as you alluded to a couple of times in this podcast. But uh, yeah, just yeah, life is hard. But if you keep doing stuff, you can end up with a pretty fun and interesting life, I suppose. Yeah. And I, I feel that's kind of looking. Whenever I do look back in my life, like oh yeah, it's like actually I've done tiny shit, like so. Yeah. And like I do actually look back and that and I suppose I don't really regret anything I've done in life yeah. that's good and those 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 anxious periods and uh, depression period like I suppose you're saying that like I'm actually I'm happy I went through those in many respects because uh, yeah actually going through those experiences aren't a bad thing it's almost like you don't enjoy watching a horror film or maybe like a, an unpleasant film sometimes to watch and then if it's a good film and you learn something from it, you're like, that was, I'm really happy I did that. In some ways, I would kind of look at those experiences like that, like, as you said, it allows you to feel empathy, it allows you to know stuff, because I remember actually, I was kind of almost, before the fifth year, I remember one time in third year, I was almost like, like how could, I was like, the sort of suicide or like very important, I was like, how could you, anyone do that? That's just pure like awfulness and like other, their this, their that, but, I suppose I understand it. It's more you just kind of get into a place or whatever, and then you just go down and down. Um, or I suppose I have a kind of understanding for it, which is, and maybe from that you understand how to help a bit more. Of that, but yeah, I I suppose it's always important to like look where you've come, where you're going to, what you want to do, what you want to achieve, like whatever, and just keep doing stuff as you said I'm a man of action I, I want to keep it like that um, as I said like even if I don't become particularly rich or particularly successful like I want to have a lot of different experiences and 
to not look back in years to come and say, what the fuck did I do at that point? Because I suppose I fear in many ways not doing stuff. I fear of looking back and regretting stuff that I didn't do. More so than I fear, say, seeing your pet snake earlier. I didn't want to see that pet snake out, but when you pulled out, it's just like, let's just deal with this. It's actually an animal, not anything else. Um, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I was like, yeah, kind of. So I suppose I want to experience stuff. and Nice. I know that's a... Uh, <laughs> Sound like a hippie douchebag right there, but um, no, no, that's not uh, Dicky. That's it. Listen, thanks very much, Richard Cobley. Right. This podcast is all about you. <laughs> Thank you very Brilliant. much.